Hey listeners, quick content warning. The episode you're about to listen to does contain some graphic descriptions of violence against women and attempted murder by hanging. If those topics are uncomfortable for you, I encourage you to hit pause and find a different broad to listen to for today. She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I am Sarah Gorski, your host, and I'm here again with two of my great friends here in LA, Caitlin Parrish and Michael Schlesinger. If you listened in last week, you already know that they are both astonishingly good television writers, amongst many other brilliant skills. But I want to dig a little further in today and ask them both what I think is the most important question that we ask on this podcast. Caitlin, what is your definition of a broad? Uh, I define a broad as a woman who is made exceedingly tired by other people and their (laughs) nonsense and who decides that because she is so tired, she does not have the energy for artifice or suffering fools. God, ain't no one got the time for that shit. Okay, Michael, what is your definition of a broad? For me, a broad is... is a woman with a, a specific kind of confidence that involves adhering to the rules she thinks are valuable and none of the others. Wow. Those are both awesome answers, you guys. Thank you. Okay, let's get down to broad business. Today, Caitlin is bringing us an amazing broad. Caitlin, who are you bringing us today? I am bringing you Mary Webster, otherwise known as Half Hanged Mary an alleged witch of 1600s Massachusetts. An alleged witch? Uh, Yeah, she is abroad, you should know, uh, because not that much is actually known about her. And I think that's kind of the ultimate crime in the wake of hysteria and movements where a lot of people who are indigent or somehow in the minority are singled out and persecuted history is written by their murderers. And so all that her murderers cared about, or rather her attempted murderers cared about, is that she was a witch. So that's basically all we're told, is that they thought she was a witch. But I want to kind of meditate on what it must have been like to be Mary Webster and to go through what she went through, because my friends, she is a stronger woman than you or I. So Witchcraft hysteria, I I think that in the United States, we kind of immediately go to the Salem witch trials, which happened in the 1690s. But uh, witchcraft hysteria had been banging in New England for decades before then. And really, it had hit its zenith in Europe in the 1300s to the early 1600s. There are an estimated 110,000 people tried in Europe. 110,000 during that time and around 60,000 were executed. And while we certainly never approached those numbers, we, we certainly like it got brought over to the new world and we continued in really hardcore fashion for a while. Um, There was actually um, a, a witch hysteria 30 years prior to Salem in Hartford, Connecticut, there were seven trials and four executions. Death was by hanging, which was an incredibly popular method. There's this, 
rumor really that witches were burned at the stake. A lot of people actually think that the witches at Salem were murdered by being burned at the stake. It's not true. Burning witches at the stake was a more European continental method of murdering men and women. Uh, Mm. There's kind of a, a collective imagining that witches were burned in Salem, but I think that's kind of just the weight of history and dream and narrative telling us because literally every movie that flashes back to the Salem witch trials shows a woman tied to a stake. It's complete bullshit. Yeah, it's like the collective imagining of bra burning in the 60s. Precisely. Didn't fucking happen. Yeah, no. In Salem, they were hanged. They were stoned with heavy rocks or they just died in jail from disease, starvation, or the cold. Um, But we don't know about the Hartford witch hysteria as much as the Salem witch hysteria because there isn't a play called The Crucible about Hartford, Connecticut. But the Hartford witch hysteria is very important to the story of Mary Webster, as I will get to. So another thing about Massachusetts at the time, Salem uh, and most of Massachusetts where our story is going to take place, is a hell of Puritan place. And Puritans Mm -hmm. were Protestant Christians uh, who derived from England who were, in their words, more intensely Protestant than Protestants. They left England because of perceived corruption in the Church of England, but also because that corruption might have just been that the Church of England was not nearly as strict as the Puritans would have liked. They let gay people get married, didn't they? They did. They absolutely did. Charles I, gay, married a Cocker Spaniel because gay marriage is a gateway drug. (laughs) That may not be strictly accurate. I I read something the other day that was talking about how uh, the Puritans left England because they weren't welcome there anymore because they were so extreme that their neighbors were like, get the fuck out of here. You're freaking us out, man. And they were like, oh, we don't feel welcome here. We're going to go to our own country. (laughs) Yeah. Literally no one wanted them at the party because they were the ones who would call the cops for it being too loud when they were themselves attending the party. But there is this image of them as the ultimate prudes. And while they were not a good time, that's not necessarily the case when it comes to sexuality. They were all about sexuality within the covenant of marriage. There's even actually an instance of a Puritan settlement in Massachusetts banishing a man for refusing to fulfill his sexual duties to his wife. One can only assume he walked to Provincetown and met some like-minded young men. And I hope he lived a really wonderful life. It's a long walk. It's a long walk, but so worth it when so you get there. So worth it. Because um, they didn't have Provincetown. that ferry. No, they did not. Good lobster rolls. They didn't have that too. ferry. They had a ferry. hey oh. um, So anyway, the, the Puritans were a hard, hard people who took things very literally, especially the Bible. And they felt like people in England weren't taking life, the world, God, seriously enough. So they were Audi 5000. Also, the Puritans start coming over in the late 1500s, early 1600s. So I just want to tie this back. This is the tail end of the witch hysteria in Europe. So their mindset is deeply within the practice of hunting and persecuting and executing men and women accused of sorcery and witchcraft. It's all the rage in England. And Puritans, as you could guess, are all about hunting, persecuting, executing people who they think are flouting the will of God and or serving Satan. And they are really hardcore about it, much more hardcore about it than, you know, those lame ass Protestants who aren't nearly Protestant enough for the Puritans. Right. Okay. So the, uh, the Puritans start leaving England to settle some hard ass villages in the U S what they don't know is that they're also smack in the middle of a time known as the little ice age. And this was a regional cooling phenomenon. It wasn't worldwide. So people in Europe had no idea what, that it was going on. 
But meanwhile, in North America, everyone was getting their asses handed to them with extremely cold winters and hot summers. A big reason why so many pilgrim colonies failed was because of the extreme weather. It said at one point that Massachusetts Bay froze over so completely that you could take a horse and carriage out where the boats would be offshore in summer and jagged ice would form over the ocean taller than an adult man. Then in summer, you were stuck in pilgrim attire in the 90s. So it was not a chill time to be in buckled hats. No, but that might have made it a lot easier to get to Provincetown. Made it a lot easier to get to Provincetown (laughs) because you don't have to cross any water. Just walk. Just walk. You also really just had to have a lot of sex and stay warm. That's just really what you had to do to survive, it sounds like. Absolutely. (laughs) You had to fulfill your wife. Which brings us to two people having sex. And Mary Bliss Reeve being born in England sometime around 1624. Her parents emigrate to Massachusetts at some point in the decades following. It's unclear exactly when. They settle in Springfield, Massachusetts. And Springfield is a town that is so Puritan. One of the most famous things about it is a big bronze statue known only as the Puritan. It is the symbol of the town. So (laughs) that is such a Puritan style statue to have. In the middle of a Puritan. Direct like, to the so- point. It is what it is and nothing more. Makes no bones about it. So depending on when she arrived, Mary's childhood possibly, but definitely her young adulthood was spent watching homesteads being hacked out of the wild. People would have starved in the winter because of the bad crops and they would have died of heat in the summer. The weather and the strict Christianity, I imagine combined to make things feel very apocalyptic. And I think back over like the last year and a half, two years that we have all gone through this generational trauma that we're all still dealing with. This has felt like a very apocalyptic time. There's a climate crisis, you know, there's an illness ravaging the globe and the Puritans were also dealing from numerous diseases, numerous illnesses. So so basically, take the pandemic and the climate crisis that we're dealing with and put it in a time and with a people who have no true grip on science and have no... So basically now, basically. but you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's even less. And, and while you're in that situation, you are doing your best to continue believing that you are one of God's chosen people. You live near or in woods that are deeper and thicker than anything in England. There are strange beasts and demonized natives moving in the shadows. You are either freezing or boiling and you are always hungry. This is a perfect storm for an abundance of magical thinking and a desperate need to figure out a reason why things are going so wrong all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's what Mary grows up experiencing every day of her fucking life, along with everyone else in Massachusetts. It was supremely uncool. Bringing it back to witches, two of the biggest accusations, the Chanel's number five and six for alleged witches were either causing illness or death to a neighbor or sickening a crop. Well, at the time, Crops are barely growing. People are dropping like flies. To a 17th century mind, that means witches are everywhere. Yeah. It's not Mm. that there's a shitty weather event lasting decades. Because the Little Ice Age, I I think there are three in the last two millennia. It peaked in the United States around 1650. And it is a cold unlike anything we have experienced. And we're experiencing some very extreme weather. And they did not have indoor heating. They did not have delightful Norwegian goose-filled jackets. To protect themselves. Well, it's not like Massachusetts is balmy to begin with. No, it's not. Uh, Massachusetts in general is a very inhospitable place, both literally and figuratively. So are you saying that these people, though, Caitlin, like, 
they didn't believe that death happened naturally, that it only happened from witches? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's an abundance of bad luck and there's okay. not a lot of explanations for it. So, you know, yeah, okay. that person died of, that person died of, uh, let's say, diphtheria, but that person, you know, just died of hunger or cold or fits or seizures. And, you know, maybe in my grief, it's easier for me to contemplate the idea that someone has wronged them, someone has wronged me, than it's just pure bad luck. You know, and this mm. is what I'm talking about. You know, rather than thinking there is this regional cooling event lasting decades, you know, rather than thinking we lack sufficient medicine or science or beneficial relationships with the natives that we've decided to largely murder, you know, let's lean into the idea that we're God's chosen people. We don't make mistakes and he wouldn't be punishing us for coming to this new country. So more often than not, let's talk about how witches are actually the source of all of our problems. So again, coming back to Mary, she grows up a Puritan woman in a really inhospitable place and options for Puritan women are pretty much what you expect. You grow up, you marry, you have 14 kids and hope the seven survive. You farm, you go to church, you die. And we don't know much about Mary, except that she spent a long time not doing several of these things. She never had children, and she didn't marry until she was around 46, which 46. means- 46. 46, which means for she- that era, yeah. That is hardcore spinstery. Got a rocket, I, I, I have to say. Um, she was bucking a lot of convention just by existing during that time as she was. In 1670, she marries a 53-year-old dude named William Webster. We call that an October-December romance. She becomes Mary Webster, and they settle in a small village called Hadley, Massachusetts. At this point, Hadley has only existed for about a decade. Ten years before, there was no Hadley. Uh, and fun fact about Hadley, let's think back to that previous witch hysteria. It was founded primarily by a group of discontented families from fucking Hartford, Connecticut, do you see where I'm going with this, my friends? Uh -oh. So Mary moves to a place founded by some discontented people from the last place we had a major witch hysteria resulting in executions in this new land. So adding to, again, the perfect storm of circumstances, while in Hadley, Mary and William do not do well. Whatever her socioeconomic status was in Springfield with her parents, it super sucks in Hadley. Uh, she and her husband were poor to the point of sometimes having to survive on assistance from the other townspeople. The only records of narrative about Mary that survived history and take it all with a grain of salt because Puritan dudes did not write kindly of accused witches tells us that Mary's poverty made her bitter and unpleasant, easily offended, and she would use, quote, harsh words when offended she used harsh words she wow used, she used harsh words when how offended guys how easily offended definitely wasn't she? written by a dude no definitely wasn't <laughs> written by a dude um you know and and to be fair i feel some kinship with her because i too use harsh words when offended but then i am an irredeemable bitch so maybe she was as well i we don't know we don't know. is the long and the short of it she also could have just like it's it's the people who would say that about you if you did the dumbest shit you know, people would be like, oh, you pooped on my grass. You'd be like, no, my, it was the cow. And they'd be like, no, you're yeah. a bitch. <laughs> well, I also definitely think that at one point she heard Goody Webster, thou wouldst be more comely if thou smilest more. Um, <laughs> like that was definitely some shit that got said to her at church. Yeah. Admit, you crack one joke about like, no, I didn't poop on your lawn. 
I cast a spell. And they will just take you to church. Meanwhile, she just pooped on their lawn. She just pooped on their lawn. You know, she, she got a little tipsy. <laughs> there was a little too much communal wine. Yep. Yep. Actually, I don't think Puritans Sometimes, were big drinkers. I think they were very... I thought... Were they? Well, beer was actually the most common beverage for people because uh, it was more in the states sanitary. It right? was more hygienic than water. Yeah, you weren't you're gonna you weren't gonna catch dysentery from beer. So beer and hard alcohol were much more popular uh, mm. in terms of a sanitary drink than water until there were huge environmental overhauls in the 19th century right. um, and early 20th century. So yeah, no, they were drunk as fuck. So that's another factor in terms of people making choices during this story. <laughs> so anyway, this is when Mary's trouble really starts. Her neighbors do not like her. She's a woman. She's poor apparently allegedly she speaks her mind all of which are common factors in terms of those accused of witchcraft throughout history it's safe to say she is not adding much to the community and when resources are scarce and she's not fun to be around the rumors start up that she is a witch and here are some of the rumors about her according to some she bewitched cattle and horses so that the animals were unable to be driven past her house presumably because she was napping. As a result, the drivers would go into the house and beat her. And when they did this, apparently the animals were able to pass. And in another anecdote, there is also a much repeated story that she once entered a house and a hen came down the chimney and fell into a boiling pot of water. While this is odd, what led to real trouble was the fact uh, that it was soon found that Mary had a scald on her body while we might assume that she had been splashed by the boiling water, her contemporaries believed it was uh, a, a witch's familiar's sign and therefore a sign that she was a witch. So again, horses didn't want to go past her house, maybe because of all the poop on the lawn. Maybe. And My one time, God. And These one time guys. when she went into a house, a chicken fell down the chimney. I have more questions about the owners of that fucking house. Uh-huh. Anyway, well, she the, must not have been smiling while she was getting beaten, which is, you know, that would be alarming for any any man of that time period, you know. Yeah, you know, Goody Webster, arts thou on the rag. You know, like, this is, <laughs> this is what we're dealing with. What the fuck? Long story short, rumors go so far that she's actually formally legally accused of witchcraft and brought before the courts in 1683. This is 10 years before the Salem Witch Trials. Mary is 60. The local courts decide they're not equipped to handle her trial, so she's taken to Boston and goes before a few judges, including a guy named Governor Danforth, who will be instrumental during the Salem Witch Trials and be immortalized in the Crucible. He is a total asshole. Like, he is- You don't say. I do say. I do say that he is a total asshole. When they say the court was not equipped to handle her trial, what do you think that means? Like, did your research, is it like, we don't have any experts in witchcraft here, so we have to take her to a witchcraft expert? Is that what it is? E effectively, yes. Like, they know more in Boston about such goings on. We are but Hadley. We have only exist for, existed for a short time, and we just don't have it in us <laughs> to like have a legal proceeding. Not like those this. cities of sin, a.k.a. Minneapolis, St. Paul. <laughs> yeah, no. And if you could actually, because you are from, you know, yeah. you have spent much time in Massachusetts. If you could approximate a 1683 Massachusetts accent about sending a witch to Boston, I'd greatly appreciate it. Would you believe it's the same fucking accent they use? Nice. Hasn't, hasn't evolved a, a bit. I love it. I love it. How did it switch from English so quickly? Is it the cold? It was the little ice age. It was the cold. Yeah. yeah it just got really, really yeah. sharp and, and angular. 
So anyway, she goes before Governor Danforth. He indicts her for witchcraft and sends her before a jury, but the jury acquits her. So, and this was actually the vast majority of witchcraft trials in the U.S. prior to Salem. It was mostly like, okay, the bumpkins think they found a witch. Yep. We here in Boston know that's bullshit. So go on home, Mary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stop wasting municipal time. Good luck with the Puritan Puritans. Uh, So one interesting thing about her trial is what she was charged with, which is, quote, having had familiarity with the devil while he took the shape of a warrenage, which is apparently a Native American word for a black cat. It doesn't say which tribe's language this could have been, but because we're in Massachusetts, my money is on uh, the Wapanoag people, uh, who were the people that a lot of white history books like to tell us, quote, celebrated the first Thanksgiving with the pilgrims. Oh, good. Which is probably Mm. not the case. But they are definitely the reason the pilgrims survived the first winter. Squanto is one of the most famous members of their people. So wait, so they accused her of... Fucking a black cat who was actually the devil? Is that what they accused her of? No, no, no. So having familiarity with the devil just means basically having had business affairs. Like, you know, being friends with, being in the company of, basically having done witchy shit with the devil. But they specifically say while he was in the form of a black cat, but the actual text uses the Native American word. Uh, So anyway, but the... Squanto and his tribe taught the pilgrims how to plant crops. And there is a lot of debate about what the exact interactions were between the initial Puritans landing in Massachusetts and the Wapanoag people. But what seems very likely is that the indigenous people suffered tremendous casualties due to disease introduced by the English. Right. So this makes me ask a few questions. One, why not just say a black cat? Mm-hmm. Why use an indigenous word in the formal charge of an English-speaking court? And two, what would encounters with the Wapanoag have been like in 1683 at the time of the trial? So I'm going to answer the second question first. Uh, there were a number of uprisings collectively called King Philip's War in the decade leading up to this, during which uh, there was basically a native uprising against the Puritans who had come in and done some really nasty shit in the decades since they arrived. After Makes the, sense. Yeah, exactly. At the end of it, all but about 400 uh, Wampanoags in Massachusetts were killed down from 5,000. Out of those left, some converted to Christianity, some moved, some eked out what existence they could, regardless Those who remained in Massachusetts would also have been on the outskirts of society. Mary and William Webster uh, reportedly lived off of a highway outside of town near a meadow. Odds are Mary might have seen or met more indigenous people out on the road than the villagers of Hadley. Now, this is pure supposition. I have zero records to back this up. But if Mary were ever seen being friendly with a wandering Native American person, this would not have reflected well on her in the minds of her neighbors. And would make them more likely to accuse her of witchcraft. Potentially. So back to the first question, why not just say black cat was uh, warrenage, uh, a word that Mary herself knew. Again, this could all be coincidence and Puritans could have interchangeably used native words because mm. they sounded more devilish or demonic to make things sound scarier to them. But I am so curious to know if racism played any role in her accusations, either through friendships with the Wampanoag or knowledge of them. Regardless, it's lost to history, but it is like one of the interesting pieces of the trial that is recorded. Yeah. So back to Mary. She's acquitted of witchcraft by the jury. She goes home. But at this time, being accused of witchcraft pretty much means you are a witch, even if acquitted. And her neighbors are pissed that she has not been executed. Because she's still pooping on the grass. 
She's still pooping on the grass, which granted not neighborly behavior. Mary is actually the last witchcraft trial in Massachusetts until the Salem trials of 1692. And I have to wonder if what happened next is part of the reason why there was such a long break, because Mary's witchcraft story is really gnarly. (laughs) A year after her trial, a dude in Hadley named Philip Smith is sick. He's delirious. He's having fits. And in the midst of this, he accuses Mary Webster of being the cause. Some, quote, brisk young men decide to go disturb Mary and see if that brings Philip some peace. Because the prevailing wisdom says that if you disturb a witch, you interrupt her magic and the victim is no longer tortured. The spell is broken. Disturbing does not mean ringing the doorbell and running away. It typically means beating or restraining. There's no record of her husband, William, whether he's dead at this point or whether he stood by and watched. He was seven years older than her. So at this point, he'd be nearing 70. That's not a great age for old guys in Massachusetts. Mm -mm. And the brisk young men of Hadley decide to do her one better. They go to her house and they drag her outside. They proceed to lynch her and Mm. she lives. She may have been hanging for about 14 hours before she was cut down. I'm basing this off of a poem that Margaret Atwood wrote about Mary. Uh, Margaret Atwood also dedicated The Handmaid's Tale to her after finding out Mary was a distant ancestor. We do know there were reports of snow, so it was winter in the Little Ice Age, and that would have meant she was hanging all night in the Massachusetts cold and dark. Imagine 14 hours hanging by the neck, never quite dying, never quite experiencing enough asphyxiation to go warm or euphoric. Her neck didn't snap, so the rope would have eaten into her skin. She must have been so tiny. She must have been so tiny. Like, oh, and also she must have had an incredibly strong neck. Yeah. Like that was a woman who tilled the earth and had done hard labor. Like her back and neck muscles had to be substantial. Maybe her blood froze on the rope. You know, imagine prying that out the next day. Uh, She probably would have been stretched an inch or two. She would have been taller. The sun comes up. They cut her down. They roll her around in the snow, which may have helped to revive her. They leave her for dead, but she ain't dead. She lives another 11 years and she never left Hadley. She She just, she She stayed. She did not just have zero fucks. After this, she must have had negative fucks to continue living next to the people who straight up tried to murder her and should have succeeded. I just, I love imagining the next day when Mary comes rolling into town, a senior citizen with a black blood noose mark on her neck, staring down all the young dudes like, how's it hanging, asshole? And yes, pun intended. (laughs) Having lived another year, you know, this occurred in 1684. So she died in 1695. She would have lived to have seen or heard about the Salem witch trials. I'm trying to picture her part in that opening song in Beauty and the Beast, like there goes the baker with it. And then like she stumbles into town, just kind of like, ah, it's in a normal day. There goes the bitch. My throat is sore. I hate you. <laughs> like that. What do you know? Mary's in a bad mood again. Yeah. The dudes that tried to hang her just like sitting at the bar, having a beer and her just like coming up behind them and ordering a pint and being like, and just not even saying anything. And they don't say anything. She turns to the bartender. And she's like, this one's on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll have a rusty nail. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, I, and this is why I believe she is abroad. We should know, though so little is known about her because 
it had to take tremendous strength of will just to survive the 17th century in general, to survive the crossing from England to America as a child, to survive the Little Ice Age, to survive deprivation and disease to the age of 60 on a new continent, and then to survive that gnarly shit. What a broad. Like, she had to be made of leather and spite, and I salute her. Mm -hmm. I salute Um, her too. so, So when I ask, you know, did what happened to Mary put off witch trials for a decade until Salem popped, I ask that because after surviving a 14-hour hanging, did the people of Hadley have to ask themselves, can this bitch even be killed? Right. You know, maybe Uh. we should not (laughs) piss off any more witches for a second because what's she going to do to us? Right. Um, They had to be convinced. Like, oh yeah, she's Does Hadley still exist? Hadley still exists. Hadley make, made it. Uh, it actually the, the the ground is quite fertile because of all of Mary's shit. Um, <laughs> she contri- she contributed to an agricultural resurgence. Um, I'm going to end with a quote from Margaret Atwood's poem "Half Hanged Mary," which is about Mary Webster. The poem is divided into sections, one for each hour that she hangs. Oh my god! And this is from the section eight a.m. Now I only need to look out at them through my sky blue eyes. They see their own ill will staring them in the forehead and turn tail. Before I was not a witch, but now I am one. And I dedicate this to all the women who may not yet be witches, but who will be soon. Happy early Halloween. Happy early Halloween. That's amazing. Thank you, Caitlin. What a broad. She's unreal. I love her. An epic broad, a toast to Mary Webster. In the way that X-Men decides that you've come to your powers, like as part of puberty, I love the idea that witches come to theirs as part of vengeance. Oh, yeah. I mean, isn't that the story, though, of all oppressed peoples? Um, You know, I was, it's interesting, we were talking about You're Wrong About, and I was listening to their episode on the Stonewall Uprising. Yeah, um, yeah. On the way Mm. here. You know, there is this great episode. It's a great episode. And there is this collective memory of Stonewall, you know, having been the big bang of gay rights. And it's actually, you know, it is a momentous thing, but there were so many momentous things Mm -hmm. that led to gay rights. But it it, it was still a watershed moment. But the thing that not a lot of people know is I I think, especially like in, in depictions in popular culture, Stonewall is kind of seen as like this cis white male thing that happened and the truth is it was all trans women of color (laughs) who kind of who kind of kicked off the party and it was because they were being treated so much worse by the cops than the you know cis conventionally attractive white dudes were they they also became witches that night out of vengeance and out of empowerment and out of a sense of outrage i think that hate and rage are really underrated emotions I I think that they get ascribed to evil Mm. way too often and they get oversimplified. I am a big believer in hate and rage uh, when channeled correctly. I I think it's all about the execution and not necessarily about the feeling. They're far more propulsive than any fossil fuel. Absolutely. Mm. Um, I have been, I've been running clean for 37 years on rage and, uh, (laughs) and I feel great. But yes, no, I think that I, I think that witches coming from a place of rage and love because they are not mutually exclusive uh, is a really wonderful thought. Gotta love yourself to think you don't deserve that. I, I always think of like our, Caitlin, you and I have often talked about like our own experiences as women in a world that doesn't always treat women kindly. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't think I was always a person that felt rage and anger 
to the patriarchy and experiences change us and that rage changes us and transforms us. And we can't ever go back to a time where we don't feel that we haven't felt that rage before, you know, and I think witchcraft is a part of that. And I, I love that. I feel like witches are now becoming symbols. I feel like of, of actual power in society instead of like, it's like people call a woman a witch when she's a woman to be feared for, for whatever reason, usually it's something to do with taking down part of the patriarchy, but. Um, well, and whether you subscribe to any particular kind of spirituality or magic, and I, I will say plainly, do not. Uh, I think that behavior is its own kind of uh, magic. I, I think that choosing to erect boundaries and protect yourself and stand up for what you deserve is a kind of warding spell. It is a kind of protective magic. If the label of witch helps you feel strong in that i support you that's magic i think that's magic i think that's delightful and i i would certainly rather hang out with witches than members of the far right yeah or puritans (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah no the, the puritans are not i'm trying to imagine a puritan party everyone's drunk and overdressed only the married couples are making out on the couch it's just cold like that's I grew up in Wheaton, Illinois. This sounds really familiar. Yeah, no, it's definitely a dry county. Yeah. Meanwhile, the witch party, everyone's naked, or as they say, sky clad, in the woods, dancing around a fire with goddamn wine and kick-ass stories and incantations and dances. <laughs> the decision is clear. It's not a hard choice. It's not a hard choice. And and thus ends my tale. Mm. Um <laughs> Well, we have spun off the tales. Caitlin, I appreciate you bringing her so much. She is a great find for this podcast. Dare I say she's also the perfect broad to kick off October with. Thank you so much for bringing her today. And thank you and Michael for carving out time in your super busy schedules to be here. I'm so thrilled and also super grateful that I was able to capture both of you together on these two episodes. I'm also grateful to our editor, Chloe Skye, and our composer, Darren Callahan. Listeners, if you enjoyed hanging out with Michael and Caitlin, we have a whole bunch more info about them on our website at Broads You should know.com so check them out and like and follow all their stuff they're the best and listeners thank you for listening if you liked this episode and the podcast in general you should share it with your friends and family and people you think will also like the episode and you also should leave us a review those are the two biggest ways that you can support us you also should follow us on social at broads you should know and email us at broads you should know at gmail.com then come back next week for another broad you should know Oh, and if you really liked this story about Half-Hanged Mary, I can recommend a couple other broads for you to listen to right now. If you are into women who were called witches, you better check out the Night Witches episode. And if you're really into tough broads, then you should check out our episode on the Indestructible Women, Joy Andrews, Marjorie McCall, and Rich Modus von Audict. And you should also look at Annie Edson Taylor. That's it. I'll see you next week.